Amen. It's always great to gather together. And often we think of coming to church as an opportunity to spend time with the Lord. But I think it's important for us to understand what does it really mean to spend time with the Lord? And the scripture we're going to look at today, Jesus addresses that in a way that's super important for us to understand, certainly. He's writing to the church in Laodicea. We've been going through the seven churches, chapters two and three of Revelation. These seven churches in Turkey, in Asia Minor, where Jesus wrote individual letters to each of them and in order to communicate what he wanted them to know at that time towards the end of the first century. But each of them was, each church was unique. Each message was really special, but all with a lot of relevance for us. Now, if you've been following along with us, we started with Ephesus, which is over there on the you know, southwest corner, kind of, of present-day Turkey. It's right where the Aegean Sea meets the Mediterranean Sea, a really important city. So then he wrote to Ephesus, and then he had them send the letter up to Smyrna, which was 50, 60 miles north of there, still along the coast, then over to Pergamos, which was further and inland, and then on to Thyatira. Then it turns south as it's coming back down uh, Turkey, again, about 50 or 60 miles east of the, co- the Aegean coast. And it, so he writes then to Sardis and to, to well, Thyatira, then Sardis. Um, and last week we saw his letter to Philadelphia. And now we are back at the southern end of Turkey and the city of Laodicea, which is really even with Ephesus, but about 50 miles or so inland. Laodicea was an important city because it was on a really critical trade route. Everyone needed to go through the the harbor in Ephesus and Smyrna. And the way you would get there from the east, from all the rest of Asia, would be to, they had a a road that went along and it went right through Laodicea. All the camel traffic and everything came through there. And so Laodicea was an important town along that way. It was a super wealthy town because of its location. It was also, it was a place where they had a huge textile industry there because if you could manufacture clothing and things like that, you're already well on the way so the raw materials could come there, they would manufacture them and send them along further. So they did well. It was also Laodicea was a a city that was really involved in the banking industry and finance. And so they were super wealthy. Um, They were also big in medicine. They had a huge hospital there. Well, um, they, they had these temples to Asclepios, who was the kind of the god of medicine. He was the guy that held the stick that had the serpent on it, that we still use that image today. But it was, in those days, a hospital, medicine. It was mostly just, you know, goofing around, experimenting, 
and not really knowing what they're doing. So different than today. <laughs> it's still, let's face it, it's, they, we still call it the practice of medicine. So most of what worked, worked, because anything, placebo would have worked. But they were big on that, and so people would go there in order to get medical treatment. They were very famous for some eye salve that they made that came from, there's some, there's some mud there in that area that's native to that area. And they made this uh, ointment out of it and it shipped all over the known world because people would rub it on their eyes and they could see better. So they didn't stop to think that. The reason you can see better is you just put mud in your eyes and when you take it out, you're like, wow, this is much better. <laughs> Um, they've, scientists have looked at the chemicals that were in that mud and there was absolutely nothing to it. it was, but it was big business, which is, let's face it, that's what matters in that field. So they did all of that. They were a really prideful city, Laodicea was. Uh, ironically, like in about, originally they were founded 250, 260 BC by Antiochus, who was one of the last of the rulers in the Greek empire, but then the Romans ended up taking it over and, and they were in charge. Well, in about a little after 50 AD, there was an earthquake that leveled Laodicea. And so the Roman government offered to send relief. And the Laodiceans go, now we're good, we've got this. They insisted on rebuilding their city without any government help. But that just shows what the Laodiceans were like, were fine. One of the other things they were kind of known for is Laodicea didn't have a good water source. And so they had to depend on transporting water great distances through little aqueducts and, and, and creeks and stuff. And the two sources, they had a source of, of snow melt and that could work its way down to Laodicea, but they were so far from it that by the time it got to them, their water was known for just being lukewarm. Then there was a hot springs that wasn't that far from there, but the hot water would come to Laodicea and it would get combined with the lukewarm water. And so their water was always just, ugh. You know, cold water is a blessing. Hot water is a blessing. Lukewarm water, not so much. And it comes into play when Jesus is addressing this church and he's kind of, he takes a shot at them for their ointment and for their water. Now, Laodicea, because they were wealthy, other countries would constantly attack them and the way they would do it was cut off their water supply. And so then they would just pay the guys. So they were, part of their economy was people being black, blackmailing them constantly, taking away their water supply and then releasing it. So that's Laodicea. So let's see what Jesus says to them, beginning with verse 14. To the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor, probably, of the church of the Laodiceans write. He identifies himself as he does in all seven of these letters. These things says the amen, the final word, the faithful and true witness. You can believe what I say, I tell you the truth. The beginning of the creation of God. Now some of the cults will say that the way that he says it here, it means he was the first one that God created. But 
That's not what it means at all. It means he is the origin of everything that God created. John makes this clear when he talks about he was, you know, that Jesus was in the beginning with God and he was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is saying, I am creation. I'm the source of creation. So I know what I'm doing. I'm real and true. You can trust me. And all of creation comes from me. So I just want to put that out there for you. Now he says, I know your works. He says that to all the churches. Just means I know what you're doing. I'm watching you. I know about Laodicea. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. And they might have been listening and going, look, it's the only water we have. We don't have refrigerators yet, okay? We're doing the best we can. But he said, you're like your water. Your water is lukewarm and so are you. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Just spit, That's kind of crude that he looks at them and says, you're not cold, you're not hot. Now, I think a lot of times, and I'm sure when I've taught this, usually what we say is being hot is what he wants you to do, on fire for Jesus. And so why would he say, I wish you were cold or hot? And usually the way we teach this is, well, because if you're kind of halfway there, you're never going to get there. But at least if you're totally against God, then there's a chance of you getting saved and going from cold to hot. But as I've been studying it over this week, I, I realized that, no, he wants them to be cold or hot. There isn't a sense of, I would rather have you be hot, but if you need to be cold on the way to be getting hot, that contradicts the metaphor, but it's also, he just doesn't say it. He says, your problem is you're lukewarm and that makes me sick. I'm, I'm just disgusted by your state at this point. And then he goes on and says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You know, that was Laodicea and that's the Christians. I'm fine. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. You are in denial of your true state because you just want to say that you're fine. Now, we can relate to this because quite often in life, we realize when someone asks how you're doing, they really just want to hear you say fine. They don't even know what to do if you actually tell them how you're doing. But if, if you tell them how you're actually doing, that puts them on the spot, and then they're like, sorry I asked. <laughs> or they try to make it, they try to help. Like there are times when I'm going through something and it really hurts, and somebody's like, how are you doing? And I tell them, and then they say some stupid trite thing that doesn't, doesn't contribute anything to what I'm actually going through, and I learn. Society, life teaches us, just lop off the extremes, and try to be as regular as you can be. Try to be as passionless as you can be. Jesus said on several occasions, 
you could learn a lot by watching children. And if you watch children, and he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The thing about kids, they're like extreme on everything. If they're happy, they're absolutely thrilled. My little grandson, when he comes over to our house, he goes and looks for strawberries. And he's like, when he finds, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he can't wait to get it in there and squirt some whipped cream on it and eat it. And he, he gets more joy out of finding a strawberry than I would get out of winning the lottery because he's that age. But then like a couple of days ago, he, he found one and he was almost going to eat it and there was a worm in it. Oh, that's just disgusting. That's gross. That's all. But that's the way kids are. Everything, they have this amazing capacity for extremes. The problem with maturity and why I really hate becoming mature is that you lop off the passion. You take the edge off everything and it all just becomes safe. That happens to you. You lose your passion when people keep saying, calm down, cheer up. Basically what people want us to do is to not be who we were designed to be. And as a result, Jesus would point out, it's only the kids that even understand what life is about. You guys have taken the edge off of life completely. And that's what he's addressing, I believe, in Laodicea. And he's using the picture of water that like, you know, nobody thinks, nobody is bottling Laodicean water and selling it. It's like, ugh. I mean, you're thankful that you have the water, but it's not very good. But at the same time, in your spiritual walk, it's like your water. And it just, it breaks Jesus' heart knowing the capacities in which he has created people. He's the inventor of creation. He made us to be people with great, deep, wide, broad experiences. And he sees us settling for just like, eh, I'm okay, I'm fine. I, there was, uh, Roger Waters wrote a song called Comfortably Numb. And I, it's a powerful, scary song, really. But he talks about how, you know, when I was a child, I had this fleeting glimpse and I looked and it was gone. And he said, now the child has grown and the dream is gone. I have become comfortably numb. And it's like, you listen to that and you go, isn't that life? It's like, yeah, when I was younger, I could get excited about stuff. Yeah, when, when life was young and, and, and different and I never knew what to expect. And yeah, it was heartbreaking, you know, but at the same time, it was thrilling. Yes, I could fall in love with somebody and have my heart broken, or I could fall in love with somebody and have my life, my heart sore. And now I'm just comfortably numb. I'm going through the motions. I'm just trying to stay on an even keel. Humanity is not designed to be on an even keel. We're created in the image of God, which means we are capable of all of these extremes. But we have to accept that in order to then become who he wants us to become. And Jesus is looking at Laodicea and saying, you guys are just like your country. You're like, just like your city. You're fine. And now how, how do people who are, you know, 
naked and cold and hungry and all these things, how do they become fine? And he goes on as he describes his remedy for them. He said, you know, you're completely in denial. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He says, what I have is what will meet you where you are. You don't have to keep playing games. You don't have to have to give up a huge part of your existence. Now, how do people become comfortably numb? How do people become, I'm fine? Well, a lot of it happens because we really expect people to be the remedy to what's wrong in our lives. So if I hurt and I tell somebody how much I hurt and they don't make it better, I become like, why do I even bother sharing my hurt? Why do I even bother opening up with people? They don't understand or they may quite often you know, respond in a way that makes it even worse. Like you may go, I'm going through a really hard time. And they're like, you think you're going through a hard time. I'm really going. Like, well, thanks, that really helped. That's how it happens. And so Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I have for you. What I want to give you is something that can deliver you from the delusion that somehow, apart from me, you're going to be able to still be okay that somehow having the right people in your life fixes what hurts. And he makes it very clear, that's not what, what I have for you. I'm the one who can actually do this for you. No one can address the pain in your life. And even no one can even celebrate the great victories in your life with you quite like he can. So he's saying, come to me. And it's not like, I want to shame you. No, you're naked and you don't know it. And I want to clothe you. I want to meet you. I want to provide for you. This is what I do. This is what I can do for you. I'm the remedy to your lack of passion, to your sense of lukewarm, to the fact that you don't really care anymore. That you're like, you know, I'd probably kill myself, but I don't even care enough to do that. You know, that's... That's life when you just go, it's whatever, whatever. I just want it to go by. I'm just counting the days. I just don't want to experience a bunch of pain when my life finally ends. What I really want is to have people not mad at me. So I'm going to tell them what they want to hear, and we make this deal among ourselves. Okay, you say you're fine, and I'll say I'm fine. I'm okay, you're okay, and let's just leave it at that. And what's left is lukewarm. What's left is you have lost your capacity to experience the amazing highs of life. You've also lost your capacity to truly understand the lows and the tragedies and and the hurts of life as well. Because expecting to get that fixed by others or expecting to fix it by finding the right book or listening to the right Bible study or whatever, when that doesn't happen, you're like, okay, I get it. Just keep moving. One foot in front of another. Just keep moving. Just try to survive. 
And Jesus is saying to Laodicea, you don't have to play this game. In the same way that your water is disgusting, when I think of how I created you, when I think of the potential that you have as humans created in the image of God, when I look back as you as being the pinnacle of all my creation, and this is what you have to show, this is how you're living your life, he, you can just tell he's heartbroken. And he goes, don't you get it? It didn't start this way. And for most people as Christians, we can look at our lives and go, I don't know what happened, but my walk with God is different than it was at one time. Where did, what happened? Where did this come from? And so, as he says, I, I want to give you salve that actually works. I want to, when he says, anoint your eyes with salve that you may see, he's saying, this will give you clarity you are coping by going into denial. You are coping by rubbing mud in your eyes and then thinking, okay, that's much better. And he goes, what I want to give you is that you can see life as it is. You can see reality as it is. I want you to have clarity, that sparkle that, you know, I remember as a kid, the first time I got glasses and it was like, I put them on and I'm like, whoa. I mean, I could see trees, but they had leaves. You know, there were things that you noticed. There were, you know, and always it's that, that passion of waking up and going, whoa. He's saying, I can give you that clarity. I can touch you so you can see life. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to live in denial. You don't have to just numb yourself and say you're fine. And so he says, you know, I, I, I want to fix you. And he says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He goes, the reason that I am telling you that you're missing out is because I love you. Therefore, be zealous. Regain your passion and repent. The word repent means think differently. You're going to have to adjust the way that you're thinking about life if you're going to reclaim the passion, if you're going to reclaim the vitality, if you're going to reclaim the clarity that I have for you, you have to think different. How do you do that? Well, we have a seminar, we have a book, we have, no. Verse 20, and you probably know this verse. It's probably as misused as any verse in scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone Here's my voice and opens the door. I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. A lot of times this verse is used to tell people that if you're not a Christian, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you pray a prayer, he'll come in and you'll be a Christian. No, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have already accepted him and acknowledged, and they're losing this passion that's such an important part of life. He's not writing to a non-Christian telling them to get saved. He's writing to a church. He's writing to individual Christians. Now, it's also not correct to say that he's knocking on the door of the church because he says, if anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door, I will come in. He is addressing followers of Jesus who are settling for less than everything that he wants to provide for us in our lives. And he says, the key is fellowship with me. The key is, will you open the door? Will you spend time with me? Will you allow me into your stuff? Will you allow me to ask you sincerely, how are you doing? And you'll actually tell me. And I will tell you the truth. And I will be honest with you. And it will be so full of wisdom and so full of love that all of a sudden, just by unloading on me, things are going to become more clear. You know, there are times in your life when you have a great conversation with somebody or maybe you see a movie or read a book or whatever and it's like, well, that really opened some awareness for me. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm offering you, but you can only get it from me. See, because I'm the only one that doesn't have an agenda and I'm the only one that loves you unconditionally. You dump your problems off on people, they have their own issues. You dump, and I'm not knocking going to people for counsel, but the truth is they can't fix what's wrong with you. Nobody can because they have their own pile of stuff. But Jesus says, come to me and open up and we can talk. And all of a sudden you'll have clarity. You'll experience my grace and love and I get it. And I will clothe you with my righteousness with my healthiness, I'll make you what you can be. And what that's going to be isn't boring and just surviving. As he goes on and says, to the one who overcomes, somebody actually does this, I will let him sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he says, I went through what I went through and then I... Now I'm sitting on a throne in heaven. You know what? You get through this, in the end, the story ends up really amazing. So everything that you're going through in life, you have to put it into the context of you're ending up on a throne with Jesus. And now you're hearing his voice and you're opening the door and you're saying, okay, Lord, I need to spend some time with you now. I need to open up with you now. And eliminating what isn't fixing it sometimes is what helps you to gain the focus. You know, sometimes we're just so, you know, caught up in all of the distractions of life that we lose our ability to see. I, last night, Ann and I went out in our jacuzzi and it was a dark night, but you know, we have lights on in the jacuzzi that are dancing around and everything. And it's like, this feels good. But Ann goes, I wonder if we could, we could see a few stars. And I, she goes, I wonder if we could see more stars if, I, if we turned off the lights. So I have an app on my watch and I turned the lights off and it was dark and all of a sudden, within a few minutes, the sky was lit up with more stars than I have seen on a night in, not in the desert in 30 years. And I'm like, wow. And I'm looking and there's this shooting star that goes just beautifully, and I, I couldn't even say anything. And then, of course, I think Anne's probably still out there hoping to see a second one. But <laughs> you turn off the distractions, and clarity results. And so Jesus is like going, what you're doing isn't working. 
Admit it. Leaning on expecting people to fix what's wrong with you, cutting deals, holding on to, well, I'm better than most, I'm doing okay. Stop it with the okay stuff. But it's okay for you to tell people you're okay. It was funny, after this message, many people asked me how I was doing. <laughs> I go, fine. <laughs> because you know what? You knowing that I'm fine or that I'm not fine, it's not going to change anything. But I don't want to play that game with Jesus. And I'd really prefer not to play it with people. I, I try to be honest, but I, I, I know that it becomes disappointing to people because if you tell people I'm, I'm struggling, then they're like, oh, God, it must be a lot worse than what it really is. Like, I'm, like I'll say, to be honest with you, I'm kind of tired. Oh, Man, I'm so worried about Dave. I think he's losing it. I'm, you know, he's going to die any minute now. And so, but really, it's not about people understanding. It's, it might be nice when you think somebody understands you, but they don't. Let's face it. There is one who does. And he says, you will become lukewarm when you neglect the quality time that you can spend with me. Because when you sit down with him, and it's just the two of you, you can tell him anything. You can use any kind of language you want to use. You can you know, say things that you're like, well, wait, I don't really mean that. He's like totally fine. He's just, I'm glad to, for you to get this off your chest. I'm glad for you to be saying what you're saying. And I'm here to meet you and to give you what you truly need. Because you can be a human with me. For God so loved the world, humans, that he gave his only son. And he says, I think I've proven to you, my love for you is limitless. Will you trust me enough to be real with me? Again, I'm not encouraging you to be real with other people. That, that will knock off every passion that you have. There, there's no passion that there is that you can't kick out of somebody really quick by responding to it wrongly. It is what it is. But if that sends me to say, I need to really spend some quality time with Jesus and let him put the passion back in my life, let him tell me that, you know, other people don't, understand you, but I do, and I'm here, and I love you, and I have plans for you, and you're going to sit on a throne next to me, and I'm going to, you may be naked and pretending like you're not, I will clothe you with something that's real, and that's lasting, and that's permanent, and that's the heart of Jesus for the church, and if we find ourselves in our lives, and we're just like, I'm just kind of okay. I'm just okay because you kind of have to be. And I'm really, you know, there's nothing, you know, extreme in my life. It's just like, how was your week? Well, a lot like the week before. How was your day? You know, pretty good. What would you have for breakfast? I don't even remember. We just, you knock off the essence of life in order to reduce it 
to the lowest common denominator, Jesus looks at that and goes, I designed you, I created you for so much more than what you're settling for. I just don't want you to be okay. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be passionate. I want you to be alert and awake. I want you to feel the extremes of hot and cold. I want you to look at the world and be able to have passionate love and concern and to pray in that way and to come to me and to talk things over with me. I don't want you to just settle for lukewarm. That was his, and it's other than geographically, the way these seven churches were laid out. I think that's a reason why this was where Jesus takes his letters in the end. Right before Revelation 4 introduces all hell breaking loose on the earth, he ends three with saying, I am knocking on your heart. Everything that you lack in your life is the sound of me. Let me come in. Let me be with you. Let me spend time with you. That will change everything. And that's his heart for all of us. Let's guard ourselves against becoming just okay, becoming just lukewarm. You can say you're fine, because there's not a good answer to the question of how are you. But then make sure that you go, this week I'm going to find some time to really be with the only one who can put the passion back in my life, the only one who really understands and loves me and has a great plan for me. And that's Jesus himself who's knocking and wanting to spend quality time. Let's spend some quality time with him this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder. For many of us, we're okay. We're fine. We're lukewarm. And we're missing out on some of the highs and lows that life provides, that you want us to relish the laughter and the tears. You, you want us to relish the, the breadth of experience of life. And we've had those edges knocked off, and now we're just okay. Help us to invite you in to tell you what's on our heart, to listen to what you might be telling us. Lord, help us to connect and reconnect with you in ways that will allow us to become more alert, more clear, more alive, more representing of the life that you provide for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.